Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Last week, uh, Brian Candelo got us started in our Christmas series called This Changes Everything. He talked about the movement that took place uh, with the Christmas story, uh, this move from despair to hope. And if you remember, he talked about how you know, Israel had been conquered by uh, the Romans. The Roman Empire r- ruled them, and for a long time they had waited for a deliverer. Uh, you may have heard about the, the 400 silent years and this anticipation, expectation. And I don't know about you, but you know, when I find myself in one of the waiting rooms of life, uh, when you're, when you're, you know, maybe you're, you're hoping to get a job or you're hoping that a, a friendship is reconciled or, or maybe it's a health crisis, you're waiting for healing, whatever it might be, uh, when you're waiting, um, you know, despair can sink in and can suffocate. And Brian talked about how God brings hope in those situations, that you might find yourself in one of those waiting rooms this morning. And, uh, but there, there's hope in Christ, and the Christmas story accentuates that. And today I, I want to talk about the, uh, the, the fact that God goes from what, what appears to be far away from us to very close and near. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. And let me just start by kind of letting you inside my brain uh, for a bit. Let you know my, some of my hidden thoughts, what might sound scary. Uh, but uh, it, it has to do with, the, um, the, with travel. I, I travel quite a bit. Uh, I'm on planes, and some flights are short, some flights are long, and I have a few idiosyncrasies when I'm traveling, and you can talk to Trina, she'll fill you in with this, um, but uh, one of them is, is I'm, if I'm kind of scanning the room, um, by the way, I, I kind of like to be up, up close and get on that plane as quickly as possible, and, um, and as I'm scanning the room, as people are getting onto the plane, I'm noticing like that guy who looks like he plays uh, linebacker for the Oakland Raiders. And as I see him, I just I go into uh, I go in prayer mode and pray prayers like, "Dear Jesus, may he seat may his seat be very far from mine, uh, because I don't want to be sitting next to him and traveling like this for ten hours uh, on a flight." And so I'm just kind of praying uh, the NFL linebackers out of my way. Uh, if I'm walking through the the, the area that we're going to get on this plane, and I notice that there's someone in the area who hasn't discovered. The beauty and the magic of deodorant. I begin to pray that Lord, may they be away from me. And uh, the, the very talkative person that you might describe as annoying, I want those people far away from me as I get on a plane. And when I'm seated in my seat and I'm watching these folks come by, I just you know praise Jesus, glory as they walk by me ahead to their seats. Um, now, now, don't judge me because you do this too. Maybe not in traveling, okay? You do this too. You have those people in your life that you're like, oh, I just, you know, I'm, I, 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 I hope they're not in my small group again. They sort of dominate the conversation. Um, it's that person in your neighborhood that you just rather just kind of keep at, at, at a distance from you. It's that person you carpool with that you just don't want them to drive because they hit the brakes hard and hit the gas hard and you don't want to projectile vomit ever again. You, you want to keep your distance from some of those folks. So you have those people too. But do you know who the people are that we really want to keep at a distance? The people we really want to keep far away from us? They are the people who've hurt us. People who've wounded us. 
You know, that person when we were at a real young age who spoke a sharp word to us or told us that we were never going to amount to anything. And uh, we, we just kind of want to keep our distance from them. That person that brought pain into your life, uh, who wounded you. you. You'd just rather, I mean, in, in your mind, and you may actually do this, where you're walking down the street, you see them coming, and you cross over to the side of the street. Um, there's, there's emotion that rises in you. Now, I want you to, to think about this. Um, th- you, you got that person in your brain? That, that person who wounded you, who hurt you? Maybe there's a name that comes to mind. Maybe in your mind's eye, you see their face. I, wa- I want you to pay attention to the emotion attached to that for a moment. I, I want you just to kind of just, just imagine and, 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 and feel the feelings of what comes to mind. You got your person? You got your, your scenario? You can nod your head in church. It's okay. Okay. All right. Just make sure you're still with me here. Now, here, here's what I want to tell you. And you're, uh, you're probably not going to like this. But um, pre-Christmas, the emotions that you feel to the person who wounded you is the emotions that God feels towards us. To me and to you. Pre-Christmas... That our God, who has emotions, we're made in his image. So we're, we're imaging him, and, and, and the emotions we feel, God feels. And, uh, and you'll see this sometimes in Scripture. You'll see the emotions of God. You'll hear the pain that God is feeling uh, as, he, as he looks at humanity. And now Genesis chapter 6 captures uh, this. This is just before the flood takes place, and Noah builds his ark. It says, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. God created humanity. He created men and women, boys and girls, and he created them to reflect his glory. Isaiah chapter 43 tells us this. We were made in his image, and we're supposed to image him to the world. But what happens is God looks at the the, the earth, and he sees people who are not imaging him in the way that he had designed them and created them to image. They actually were, everything they thought of and planned was wicked and evil. And it broke his heart. Emotionally, his heart was broken. He experienced regret. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, uh, Jesus, I mean, not Jesus, but Jeremiah, the prophet, captures uh, the pain of God in this metaphor here. He says, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. Some of you in the room know the pain of someone being unfaithful to you. You know all too well how that pain burrows its way into your soul. And you know how that pain just gnaws at you. It does not go away. It, it, it can rise to the surface so quickly. You know that pain. And so you know the pain of God as he looks at his people and he sees them committing spiritual adultery, being unfaithful to him. And God feels a sense of rejection and betrayal from humanity. And then Hosea chapter 11, Hosea a prophet is trying to give Israel a sense of what God is feeling. He says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. He's referring to uh, the Exodus. Uh, But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. It was I who taught Ephraim. And by the way, Ephraim is like a nickname for Israel. 
It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I. How can I give you up, Ephraim? This picture of a dad, uh, a parent, teaching their child how to walk. Some of you have had this privilege where your kids are beginning to learn how to walk and you, you kind of extend your fingers like this and your, your little girl, your little boy grabs and they're tightly holding onto your fingers and you're just sort of guiding them and balancing them as they're taking their steps. And as they're doing that, uh, as a parent, you're just so full of delight and love for your kid and you're kind of moving them forward and your heart, oh, it just breaks, it just bursts forth with love for your, your kid. And, and this is what God is saying. I carried them by the arms. And in those moments that he just have, didn't have the strength or the balance to hold themselves up, I was there. And they grew up and they forgot me. They grew up and they, I had all this care for them. And they don't care about me anymore. God has these emotions and he's feeling them and, and, uh, and, and he has these emotions towards us. And it prompts a question, what do we typically do when someone breaks our heart, when someone's unfaithful or betrays us, rejects us, or someone forgets us? And, you know, we we invested so much in them. We we cared so deeply for them. But but as time has gone by, they just kind of forgot us. We don't even exist anymore. What's the typical human response to that? And... Most often it can be summed up in a couple words, words like payback and revenge. We want people to feel the pain we are feeling. We want them to know what we're going through. Take, for example, Yvonne Wilkins and her boyfriend, Charles Phillips. Yvonne, um, here's a, a picture. She spent um, just short of a quarter of a million dollars to hang these, uh, these I think they're 50-foot banners. She, she hung three of them in New York City. One of them was in Times Square. She hung one in Atlanta, and she hung another one in San Francisco. Uh, and it kind of looks like this romantic banner where she's just displaying her love uh, for Charles. It says at the top, you are my soulmate forever. It's got a web address at the bottom that you can go that's just dedicated to the two of them. Um, but, but what really is going on here is Charles is the CFO of the Oracle Corporation. He also at the time had a significant role in government and Charles informed Yvonne that um, while they had been together for eight and a half years, he was married and going back to his wife. So what Yvonne does is she wants Charles to feel the pain of what she's experienced. So she spends a quarter of a million dollars on five massive banners and hangs them in cities around the U.S., which then causes Charles, oh, by the way, a web address so you can, you can track along over the eight and a half years the, the history of their relationship, which prompts Charles to have to go public because he is a public official at the time as well as leading Oracle. And uh, this affair that's been hidden from his wife goes public. He has to step out of his role in government. And friends, this is what we do. When people hurt us, when they break our hearts, when they betray us, when they forget us after all we've done for them. This is what we do. We, we often take time, you know, we take revenge. We may not hang a banner, but we know how to make a person feel the pain we're feeling because hurt people 
hurt people, right? So what does God do? I mean, God's had his heart broken. God's been betrayed. God raised us like children. He had a purpose for us, but we've forgotten him. Israel didn't care about God anymore. What, what's God's response? I mean, we, we, we go to payback and to revenge, and what God does is unbelievable. What God does is he arranges Christmas. He seasons the scriptures with prophetic hints of hope. There's going to be reconciliation. That there's going to be peace. He takes one of his trusted angels and commissions the angel to go to an older couple who they've had this lifelong dream of having a family. But that dream appears to be over. And this trusted angel delivers the good news to this elderly couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that, that, that they're going to have a son. And he's actually going to have a really important role in paving the way for a Messiah who's about to show up on the scene. And then this trusted angel is then commissioned to go to a teenage girl and to say to this teenage girl, you are highly favored. As God has looked over the entire planet, you are highly favored. And he describes to this young girl that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her and conceive in her a child. And he is going to be called a deliverer. He will be the Messiah, the Son of God. And then what God does is he's arranging Christmas with prophetic hints of hope as he's helping people realize dreams they thought were dead and he just surprises us with his movement in our life. He then holds, apparently, these angelic choir rehearsals for quite some time. And he, he, he's getting his choir ready to sing this amazing moment, to sing it into being. And these angels aren't going to sing like a, to a packed house at Carnegie Hall they're going to show up in a pasture, and there's going to be some sleeping shepherds, people who really are on the bottom rung of the ladder of society, and he's going to declare to them the secrets of what he's doing. When God is wounded, when God feels forgotten, when God feels like he's betrayed, his heart has been broken, what he does is not paybacks. He doesn't engage in revenge. He arranges Christmas, friends. This is his response. And he wants to be with us. In fact, he's been talking about this for quite some time. If you look at the covenants in Scripture, uh, go back to, to Genesis chapter 17, and, and God is making his, his, his covenant with Abraham. Um, covenants are not contracts. Contracts, you know, if you don't hold your end of the bargain up, then the contract's null and void and doesn't exist anymore. Covenants, the, the, God is making a promise, and he's making a promise to Abraham based on his character. And he says this, this is the everlasting covenant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. Abraham, I'm going to be your God. You can trust me. I'll be with you. And here's, what, here's what's going to happen. I'm not only going to be your God, the generations that flow from you, I'm going to be their God as well. And then uh, some years later, the generations have unfolded and God's going to, going to talk to a guy named Moses. And he's going to make a covenant with Moses. Exodus chapter 6, this is uh, before Moses goes down and rescues the people from Egypt. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. 
I will be your God. There, there it is. That's the Abrahamic covenant. I will be your God, Moses. And then here's, here's the promise to Moses. And I will claim you as my own people. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. Abraham, I'm going to be your God in all the generations that flow out of you. I'm going to be their God as well. Moses, I will be your God and I'm claiming you as my people. But there's another move that God's going to make. He's not only going to be people's God and claim them as his own. That, that can feel a little bit distant at times. But God's going to come near because Revelation chapter 21 really captures the full heart of God as all this comes together. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. That's the Mosaic Covenant. And God himself will be with them and be their God. There's the Abrahamic covenant. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The, the three pieces of the puzzle put together. I will be your God. You will be my people and I will dwell with you forever you got to get this. Friends, when people hurt us, when people wound us, we want them as far away from us as possible. But when people wound God, what God does is he draws near. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. He will be your God. He, he will claim you as his own, and he wants to dwell with you forever. Because he loves you and even likes you. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, as God is making this move, you know, you, you know these verses, for God so loved the world. I mean, how does God respond? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, but it gets better. For God did not send his son into the world to pay back. For God did not send his son into the world to exact revenge. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Friends, this is our God. And here's the interesting thing. You know, when, when, when you fall in love, you will make great sacrifices for the person you're in love with. I mean, this is what God does for us. Jesus will offer his life as the ultimate sacrifice so that we can be, he can be our God, we can be his people, and we can dwell with him forever. But we too know the reality of this. I mean, February 17th, 1984, was my first date with um, Trina Holstey, who would become my wife. I already had a date that night, but that's a whole other story. That was our first date. <laughs> and we, we went on a date, and, um, and we, we liked each other, and we spent more time with each other, and... The more time with each other, we, know we just, you go, some of you know this really well, you will forgo the basic necessities of life when you're in love. You just will. I, mean, I, we, we, I, did, I didn't sleep much. I worked nights at United Parcel Service. We'd stay up to midnight hanging out and talking at the college we were going to. Uh, I was enrolled in, in classes there. I'd stay up to midnight. I'd go to work at 1, and I'd get off uh, sometime in the morning, and then sometimes I went to the classes I signed up for. And, uh, and, and the, but I would, 
oh man, I tell you, I would forego sleep to be with her. I'd, I'd skip meals. To, to, I mean, I, food was, I mean, on the, on, the, on the priority list, food was not up. I mean, it meant being with her. I'd forego meals. We will, go, we will forego the basic necessities of life. We will make sacrifices to be with those we love. And friends, this is what God has done for us. When our God, his heart is broken, when his, his heart feels betrayed, when he feels forgotten, he's poured so much love and care into our lives and we're not showing much love and care to him, what he does is he does not arrange payback, he arranges Christmas. And this changes everything for us. It changes everything. Now, so, okay, what, what do we do with that? I mean, this is Salem, Oregon, 2018. This is an ancient story. Um, how do we apply something like this to our life? Well, actually, it gets pretty practical. If you think about a God who's wounded, a God who's had his heart broken, and his response to the wound is to arrange Christmas that we could be reunited and reconciled to him, one of the very practical things that you and I can do and this Christmas season is to image him well, and that is to arrange our own moment, to arrange a moment of reconciliation. See, there are people in your life that perhaps the, it was a friend who was a really close friend at one point in time, but something happened and the friendship's broken. It's, it's a neighbor who you used to spend time with and talk with, but something happened. Somebody did something and they were offended and... And now the, the, the neighborly relationship has is, is been harmed. Um, you can arrange your own moment of reconciliation. Now, I do understand that in some cases, there are circumstances that have taken place where it would be completely inappropriate to try and arrange a moment of reconciliation. There are important boundaries in place. The wound was so significant that there does need to be distance. There are those circumstances. But in so many of them, We've just let an offense take root and bitterness has taken root. And friends, this Christmas, we can remember that there is a God who didn't enact revenge, but he arranged Christmas and we have an opportunity to arrange a moment of reconciliation as well. Now, some of you are thinking, boy, you don't know what happened there. It's pretty tough. I don't even know if I have the, the tools. To, I don't even know if I'm equipped to be able to, to know how to have that cup of coffee or, or have that meal with that person, and I don't know what to say. And, and, well, I've got great news for you. we got a Peacemaker training event coming up in January. It just so happens. <laughs> January 25th and 26th. We do this every year. We do this because, friends, we, we have conflict coming to us Every single day comes in big doses and small doses. Some of you were driving to church today. You had conflict. You know who you are. Don't look at them. They'll know, right? <laughs> we need to know how to, how to resolve conflict biblically. Some of us are peace fakers. We put a smile on. Oh, no big deal. And we go home and we just kind of, you're not going to believe what Fowler did to me today. We'll talk later. Uh, we're, we're just... We just smile. Everything's great. Some of us are peace breakers. Everyone knows we're in conflict. We're telling every. We're, we're just like the, the bull in the china shop. God wants us to be peacemakers, and in order to establish a culture of peace, in order to see our vision of a city at peace with God be realized, we need to know how to handle conflict biblically. 
So we can arrange our moments of reconciliation and we can be equipped. That's coming up in January. Uh, you get more than a month's notice. Some of you haven't even bought Christmas presents. That's just two weeks out. This is like a month and some out. You'll be there. I know it. Here's the third thing I would suggest for us to do. And that is to meditate on this reality that Christmas, the message that Christmas brings to us, is to meditate on the fact that God loves being with me. He even likes me. To meditate on that. I mean, you, you can't get your head around. There's a God who's wounded, who, who's feeling betrayed, who feels forgotten, like someone's committed adultery against him, and instead of condemnation and shame and guilt, what he does is he just pours out grace and arranges Christmas for us. He loves being with you. He even likes you. And some of you need, some of you need to write that on a sticky note and put it on your mirror in your bathroom. So you need to write that down and put it in your car. Or every time you see a, a red stoplight, you just say out loud. You, some of you need to say this out loud. God loves being with me. He even likes me. Because what happens when you say it out loud, it, you hear it and it's like, it's shocking. It's literally, it's surprising. And you need to meditate on and chew on that, that he loves you so much that he would send his son, not to condemn, not to wag his finger, <laughs> but to extend his arms and pay the price so you could have a relationship with him. Some of you, even as I said that, you know, God loves being with you and he even likes you. Some of you go, yeah, but Steve, <laughs> you, you don't know the thoughts in my head. And you're right, I don't. And you don't know the thoughts in my head. And the only thoughts you do know is the ones I share with you. And I, I shared safe ones, right? Because this is probably going on a podcast and people around the world will listen to it. Yeah, you're, I don't know your thoughts. You don't know my thoughts. Some of you thought you don't know my past. You don't know what, you don't know my life. You don't know, what, you don't know the mistakes I've made, the failures that I've made. And you're right, I don't. And you don't know mine. But there's a God who knows us inside and out. And friends, he says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and I want to dwell with you forever. That's the God we serve. A God who doesn't take revenge, but a God who comes near. We like to keep people who've hurt us far away. God comes near, and he arranges Christmas. He likes you. He thinks highly of you. He's pleased with you. And I know it's hard to believe. But listen to the story. It's beautiful. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. And uh, she 
wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, uh, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I, I bring you good news. That will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And dear ones, this changes everything. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.